Hey, Ryan, Black it's Hammer, hammer time. <laughs> a few years ago at Salesforce Dreamforce, they brought out MC Hammer to do a rap where he basically imposed Salesforce lyrics. On That's terrible. I know. But I'm glad he's getting work. <laughs> One thing I really kind of want to do with this show, I, I kind of want to find the jazz cover. <laughs> I don't actually mind you doing it. Because that could be part of the shtick. Like, why not do an MC Hammer song? I kind of really appreciate your enthusiasm for that. So I would say go for it. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. My, 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 my music hits me so hard it makes me say, oh my lord, thank you for blessing me with a mind to rhyme and to hype that it feels good when you know you're down. A super dope punk boy from the Oak Town and I'm known as such. And this is the beat, uh, you can't touch. I told you, homeboy. You can't touch this. Yeah, that's Have you ever thought about going to a farm upstate? I mean, I grew up on a walnut orchard, so I kind of feel I've been there, done that. Well, I guess what I meant to say was, have you ever thought about going to an interdimensional pocket reality that you can never escape from? Yeah, man. It's like when you go onto 4chan and read all the QAnon conspiracy theories. <laughs> I'm Roman Segel. I'm Ryan Joe. And we're two guys who really want MC Hammer to rewrite the theme song for this podcast. MC Hammer, call us. <laughs> this week, we're reading Black Hammer. I'm getting really tired of having to read your semi-erotic Norse Nubian crossover fan fiction. <clears throat> this week, we're reading Black Hammer, the Eisner award-winning series by Jeff Lemire and Dean Ormston. This is actually a really fresh take, Ryan, on a lot of familiar superhero tropes, which also brings our journey into subversive superhero stories to a close. Black Hammer's got all your favorite superhero archetypes, the foul-mouthed lightning-powered lass, the patriotic populist patriarch, the mellow morose Martian, the goth witch with butterfly wings, the astronauty adventurer, and his wacky robot sidekick. Do you think Jeff Lemire managed to secure action figure rights to this, to this thing? I really hope so. <laughs> I I would I actually have a planetary action figure set that I got on eBay years ago. I would buy a Black Hammer action figure. They made set. planetary action figure sets. Oh yeah, man! I, I would not, take them out. I did not know. I, I, do they have like special features or anything nah, like that? Like, nah, it's just the well, three. like the Wolverine action figure had retractable claws. You know, Wolver a saber tooth action figure had battle damage that you could inflict on his chest. My drummer action figure has two drumsticks like plastic soldered to his hands. <laughs> All right, then. But with Black Hammer, with awesome names like Colonel Weird, Talkie Walkie, and my personal all-time favorite, Abraham Slam, what's not to love? Actually, Barbalian is the coolest name. Eh, I can get behind that. Ryan, I dare, nay, I challenge you to shit on such a work of art. Well, I actually like quite a bit of this. And actually, it actually did remind me a lot of Planetary. You know, when you that means this is going to be a shitty this. episode if we both really liked it. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. I got some stuff. I, I got I had serious problems with it around the. So we read the first four volumes. There's actually five volumes. Yeah, Spiral City one, right? Yeah, that's, that's like that. That doesn't count. That's like a bunch okay. of extra stories. We had I read four volumes. We didn't read the extra series, as Roman called it. And I had, I had actually read the first volume, Secret Origins, a long time, pretty much when it first came out, and I was hooked. I loved it. It actually kind of did a lot of what Jeff Lemire does well, which is these really complex relationships between people. 
actually the only other Jeff in a, Lemire in, had, in a rural setting. In a rural, in a rural setting. setting, yeah. I, the only other Jeff Lemire I had read was uh, Essex County, which is kind of what which is what put him on the map. Have you not read um, Sweet Tooth? I read the first. <laughs> I read the first volume of Sweet Tooth. <laughs> Jeff, I, I read the first volume of Black Hammer. <laughs> so I, I kind of, but not really. It, it was just one of those books that I just, I, I, for whatever reason, I was hooked and really interested. And then I just kind of my Life. mind went somewhere Life. else. Yeah. And so the first volume is really good. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a fantastic setup. You've got this, these, these, these four, actually two, four, six people who are kind of living in the same area. And they're not always like okay with each other. But they also kind of have this bond, and Lemire is really good at showing the complexities of how these people, who are all superheroes, in hiding. To, to be clear, how they work with only each four, other. Only four of them are people. One is a robot, and one is a Martian. Just, just saying. That's are Martians people? Like, do you have to be from Earth to be a person? I've read enough science fiction where they—it's almost like the pronoun thing—and the aliens are like, "Hello," you know. So, no, I don't think they are. Wait, aliens are like. So wait, why, why, I just, why aren't aliens, why can't aliens be people? Like, what would be the definition of person that the alien wouldn't, is it like born on Earth? But then again, if you're a human who's born on Mars, you're still a person. So what would be the definition of person, of, of, of people in this? Well, I think okay. we're going to go down uh, a rabbit hole, but I want to litigate no, okay, this. We can always on. cut it. Hang on. First, talkie walkie is not a person. No, no we, what defines being a well, person? What, what is, is, yeah, yeah. What defines humanity? I mean, I would you, say that talkie walkie has a lot of humanity. This has just turned into a podcast uh, discussing the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Measure of a Man, <laughs> where Starfleet wants to take apart Data and Picard has to like fight on his defense. It's a fantastic episode, Measure of a Man on Netflix. I would highly recommend it. No, I think, okay, human is absolutely a person. Uh, uh, <laughs> human is a one of the people from the planet Earth. But in this comic book, Barbalian is a Martian. So maybe do the Martians, would they say people about themselves? So I will give you that five of them are people, but I don't think Talkie Walkie, although he's technically an alien too, as we later find out. From right. It, it, talkie, was Talkie Walkie built? Was he just sort of like spawned as like this metal? She, was she spawned as a sort of like metal creature? We don't actually know anything about her progeny. So I think it's a, Talkie Walkie is a she. Yeah, I think so. Huh. I, I remember being a little bit surprised because in the first episode, I think they refer to her as a she later on. And initially when, you know, I was reading her voice, I kind of, you know, defaulted to a male voice. But I do believe Talkie Walkie is, is, is a she. Oh, yeah. Talkie, she is gender. Talkie, help yeah. me. She can't, she can't help hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, I, 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 so I'm just going to say like, so one thing I really actually do like about Black Hammer just kind of throughout the series is how different it is. It goes from kind of being this really intricate look at these personalities who are stranded and trying to get out in the first volume. And then it gets very kind of weird and metafictional in the later volumes. And I do kind of like Lemire trying a lot of things. I will say that they don't always work. Mostly, I, I think they don't work when he, when a, they get actually a little bit, when he kind of like introduces a really interesting concept later on and doesn't follow through with it or kind of, it kind of has like a very mundane ending that doesn't affect anything in the, you know, in the, we, we, the end in, ending in the of volume four. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, so I, that, that, that was kind of upsetting. Like there, 
uh, I mean, spoiler, uh, we the ending of volume four, which is the main story, is just kind of hitting the reset button. Ooh, so all does, of the yeah. mystery, all of the mystery that we've unraveled, and maybe that's the journey of the book is more fun than the plot, right? Because it starts out with this like really weird ass mystery. Why are these people stranded? What's going on with them? And even as you start to unpack what happened in the real world and even the secret origins of this character, I think the thing that upsets me the most about Black Hammer is they just won't let it lie. Like you did, we were talking about the fifth volume. There's like five, six, seven, eight volumes from the world of Black Hammer. I don't want more from the world of Black Hammer. Uh, you know, I just, yeah, I, I want the standalone story and then go, go write something else. The world of Black Hammer, what, what, to me gives Black Hammer its strength is the way it kind of dips into these familiar genre tropes like you know Shazam, like like, like Shazam Spain. the EC horror comics right the 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 vault of terror and stuff like that and uh, yeah no the the space explorer you know it, again it's kind of recalls those EC adventures the science fiction EC adventures and the way it kind of like kind of redefines it especially in the first volume by, I don't know, kind of really diving into the, the characters that kind of lead us into those particular genres and where it becomes less compelling and less unique is where Lemire kind of fully embraces the genre. And that's when, you know, all of that transcendent stuff that you got in the first volume, it, it, it kind of flakes away and we're left with kind of like a plot driven story that just so happens to have all of these different characters from all of these different fantasy genres colliding. And it feels well, like, that, le- like such a less ambitious, you know, feat of storytelling when he, well, when and, he and that was kind of the running that. joke in the intro toss, right? Like it feels like he got his favorite action figures and made up a story with his favorite action figures. And again, he put them through the paces. Let's strand them for 10 years and turn the screws on them. Right. And really, do a hard examination of their sexuality, of the weird questions yeah. of if you were trapped in an adolescent's body, but you like to drink and smoke, right? And fuck, like, what would your life... And he's not doing it in a Kevin Smith kind of way. He's doing it in a honest interrogation of what would these people mean to each other when stranded on an island for 10 years together? And it, that's interesting. In a, in a way, the, plot, the story... Until you have to make the plot work. Yeah, the, and actually, when I, when I, it's actually kind of the same issue that I had on about bone, which is that it starts out with these really strong personalities clashing with each other. And that's really, really interesting. And it's doubly interesting because these personalities have such weird superpowers, you know, and that kind of manifests in their interactions with each other. And then towards the end, it just becomes about the plot. How do we kind of end this the series? And, you know, in a way, a lot of the personalities that made them so distinct initially, again, fall, that off. fall off. And it's specifically Colonel Weird, who, when you, we first meet him, is just so strange and disorienting. And he's bopping through timelines. He doesn't know where the hell he is. You know, he kind of like, he goes, he goes into like one timeline. He has like a line of dialogue or he has a conversation with the character. And then he kind of gets pulled away into another timeline. It's such a strange aspect of his character. And then later on, he's actually a little bit more, I guess, sober would be the word. He, he makes more sense. His thought process well, they all, is they, more linear. They all do. They all do. You know, when they, when they start yeah. to have to make the decision to go back, 
they again again that they are heroes they're like nope we got to do it and it becomes a very linear thing it's first and it's frustrating because it, the the in, the first volume promises so much more so much like you know it, it would that that it would resolve around like this clash of personalities and in the end it resolves because we are all heroes and we're going to do the right thing you know and that's why i was ultimately disappointed with with black I, I, I don't know if I was disappointed. I got the because I've now read this twice. The first time, well, the first time I randomly discovered it, like you, and then in the middle of this pandemic, I picked them all up and I decided to read them. And then we decided to now I've reread it a third time. I, you know, the ending I felt like the same way I felt about the ending of Game of Thrones or Avengers or any of these other, even Star Wars. It's like, eh, okay. I got uh, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess they do that. Yeah. So I it's kind of like a C plus B minus ending. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Thank you for tying up all those knots. But it wasn't something unique and swinging for the fences. Well, when any of the book was a swing for the fences sort of thing. Yeah, but I feel that's sort of a betrayal of what Jeff Lemire set out to do initially. You know, because he is against when you're when you're when you start out swinging for the fences and at the end, you're just kind of like, I don't know, hitting a grounder to the to the pitcher <laughs> to move your buddies down the base you know it's, it's just it's it's such a letdown and i think the other thing that really i really didn't like about the ending is that at the end it could have i mean the beginning all the, the characters are stranded they don't know why they're furious they really want to get out but it could really have been clarified if the character who was stranding them said hey guys i'm doing this to you here's why you know, here's the stakes. If you guys get out, the universe dies, essentially. And, you know, it's it's one of those things where this could have been all of this drama, all of this weird stuff could have just, you know, been forgotten if they if one of the characters just had a conversation with everybody else, which she ultimately did in the end. And <laughs> and, and so it's just like, oh, man, all that work, all that effort for like literally no reason. It was such a great mystery. And at the end, it didn't matter at all well so that was the other thing that pissed well, me off well, okay okay it did matter in the sense that it was the unraveling of the mystery you the reader were finding out about all of this stuff or pretty much at the same time as the main characters and protagonists were the reset button i have mixed feelings about at the end because straight plot wise they reveal that the whole thing was kind of falling apart like you know they were getting antsy. They wanted to get out. The illusion, the construct had taken on a life of its own. And the woman, uh, Madam Dragonfly, couldn't hold the illusion up because it had taken a life of its own. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't really fully understand, well, why is it different this time? You just kind of have to do it. Is it because the Black Hammer is now powering the illusion or? Yeah, well, like, I Yeah. Or, or okay. we rewrote it. We rewrote it in a very different way that is much more manageable, right? Right, but okay. So this is this is illusion v two. I, I guess I don't understand why she just didn't do it the first time. Like, in, like towards the end of uh, volume two, when they're about to get out, the the person who's who's creating this illusion gives a lot of people their kind of heart's desires. And it's just like, why didn't you do that the first time? You would have had a lot less resistance. Well, she didn't. If, but no, to be, to be fair, she didn't know what their heart's desires were. So the first time it was, holy shit, end of the world. The only way we can solve this is to throw them into a holodeck. Throw them into the holodeck and we'll figure it out. So I don't think she knew what she was doing. The yeah. second time around, she saw how the plot played out with all the characters. 
because remember, it's by the end of the 10 years, she's starting to give them their heart's desires with Tammy, with the priest, et cetera, et cetera. The second time around, she's now learned a little bit more. And and you watch how they write it. It's like, oh, okay, well, Barbalian gets his boyfriend. Tammy is a mainstay. Like she rewrites it to work better for everyone. Even interestingly, Gail yeah, is okay, now a child. Gail is, Gail is now a child. At I was the like, end. what and- the fuck? Okay. Oh my God. Like, okay, so Gail, she is this, you know, she's, she's trapped in the body of a kid. She's a middle-aged woman. And in real, who, get, who in when she, life, and when she says her magic word is transformed into the body of a superpowered kid. Yeah. I don't understand. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have a hard time seeing that as a victory where it's, so, it's sort of like saying, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to brainwash you. Because you were so unhappy. We're going to basically brainwash you and give you the mentality of the seven of a seven-year-old. How's that sound? And it's just like, man, she's going to go along with that. A, again, why didn't she do that the first time? I guess, you know, we could. You didn't, you didn't know what you didn't know. didn't know. And then, and then, okay. But this time she also has like a buddy, her, her lover, her boyfriend from the real world. world who has been de-aged and also kind of infantilized, I guess. What is a seven year old? Then they're not infants, obviously. What, what do you call them? No, but uh, it's. Inkittalized. He's been, if, he's but, been but, okay. kittalized. In the previous reality. Gail never aged. My guess is in this new reality, again, remember, their physical bodies are like just literally asleep on a rocket ship in the Parazone. So their bodies are in a state of stasis and their mind is like, you're a brainwashed seven-year-old and you're going to grow up now in this reality. Whereas in the previous one, it's it's interesting. Like, you know, again, to your point, why didn't they do that the last time? Because, but the people would realize because they went in with their full memories the first time. I think you know, the second time around, they because they do ask to have their memories erased completely for the second there's time. There's so much complexity in the first, you know, the first time they're in the illusion. There's so much complexity in around how they feel. Like some characters are like totally, like Abe is totally dead, is pretty much down with being there. You know, Barbarian is kind of trying to make it work. Yeah, you know, and Gail is just really chomping at the bit to to get out. And there's no complexity in you know when when this when the when it ends with them all kind of like ha- living happily ever 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 after on this farmland ostensibly because they also know that this reality is no a fiction do they no no the Does second Abe time know? around no so do okay you? hang on the first time around really? yeah the first time around they never got a choice they were thrown into this like kind of pocket reality to cool their heels and so they, with their conscious mind of having been a superhero in Spiral City before, this, you know, Abe's the only one who accepts it. But over the course of 10 years, they're all chomping at the bit to get out. The second time around, they say, OK, now that we know that we have to do this to save the universe and we're being given a choice, we're going to go in. But the way we're going to go in is you have to erase our memories. Just let us live, reset our lives completely. We don't they I don't think the characters at the end Did of this- volume four. They, yeah, they say, uh, send us back. Let's not remember or something like that. So let's take a look. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of assumed that they knew. Well, at least the adult characters no. knew and were just okay with it. So where, yeah. Is there a line of dialogue where, she, where they say erase us? I'm going back. Yeah. Forget it. I'll never go back there. 
Are you insane? The first time I did it. Here we go. Gail says, no way. I, Black Hammer says, yes, it's the only way. If you all disappear from this reality again, the balance will be restored. Anti-God will not manifest. Gail, no way. I'd go crazy, especially now, especially when we all know it wasn't even real. Uh, unless we don't remember. Abe says, unless we didn't remember. Could you do that? Could you make us forget everything that's happened and just send us back to the farm, to Tammy? And she's like, ah, I can't do that. It'd be really hard. You actually want me to do it, don't you? So basically, they're saying... Send us back, but this time, wipe our memory. That's how I read it. Now, I think Abe was asking to send us back and wipe our memory of this reset. But I think what Dragonfly did was she literally wiped their memories to be people who have always lived in this reality. Because when you, when you fast forward, when they all jump in, I don't think any of these people know who they actually are. How much, so here's my question to you. How much of a victory is this? This is sort of like, I guess this is sort of like a concession, I guess, you know, because it's, they, I mean, if you're, if you're the fate, sacrifice. well, the ultimate sacrifice would be death, which would have been a lot easier actually. And maybe that could have let Madam uh, Dragonfly, you know, hang but, out but, in but, this but, reality. But hang on, even to that point. When Black Hammer is talking to like the new gods or whatever, she's like, uh, what? You want me to kill them? And her dad, Black Hammer, was like, no, I'm not asking you to kill them, dude. <laughs> like, so even Black Hammer, who's kind of like our, the, the, our viewpoint character, she's the one who, she's the one who thinks that's what they want her to do. Couldn't she just, what do you mean? Like, 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 she, she like, you can she's the one who thinks that's what they they want her to oh, so what? so black hammer is with the new gods and the new gods yeah. are explaining these guys cannot exist in our reality and she says i know but i just don't think i can do it daddy i don't think i can kill them and her dad right. says kill them who said anything about killing and then you kind of fast forward to gail coming gail black hammer coming back and saying Hey, we need to go find the person who can fix everything. They go find Madam Dragonfly and they convince Madam Dragonfly to send them back in. And Gail's like, I'm not going back. I'll never go back. And Abraham Slam says, no, well, how about you send us back and make us forget everything? Right, right. I don't know. I, I guess for me, it's again, it's a reset back to the beginning and it's sort of like, and I don't know how happy you can consider like an ending as they all lived happily ever after in their delusional dream world. I guess there is happiness there because they never know. They never remember. I, I guess I was kind of hoping that Lemire would interrogate that situation a little bit more, even though they agree to it. Well, so they're kind this, of, this, this is where I'm pulling Orion. There actually is going to be a proper volume five with the young black woman, Black Hammer. Like, it's just, I think it's coming out in a few weeks. And may, maybe they will, they will interrogate that. Maybe they should interrogate that, that we effectively brainwashed these people and parked them in a pocket reality. Yeah, actually, that would, see, that's, there we go. But then, of course, then again, I don't know. Then, then again, <laughs> I can see it kind of rewinding back to the first volume, Secret Origins, where they're sort of like, you know, just wanting to get starting out, starting to want, wanting to get out. But again, the want. Remember the difference between the first time and the second time. The first time they were sent there against their will, and the first time they went in, literally with all of their memories from their lives before. 
I think this second time around, mm -hmm. they have been given a new lease on life with no superhero backstory. It's kind of like an episode of the good, the good place, which I have not seen. I've seen snippets of it though. Gets better when it gets weird. So I'll leave it at most that. Most things, most most things do. Speaking of getting weird, in in Black Hammer, what do you think about Colonel Weird's kind of adventure? So actually, here's here's. I'm going to back up a little bit. Here's the other thing that kind of bothered me is that Jeff Lemire repeats the same trick dramatically a few times. Characters appear. They're about to reveal something. They vanish. It happens to Black Hammer. It actually happens to Black Hammer twice. And then it happens to uh, Colonel Weird as well, though we get kind of his perspective. And the other thing that they repeat is like, she, this happens with Black Hammer and Colonel Weird. Black, Colonel, Black Hammer is kind of navigating the house of the, you know, the, the haunted house of Lady Dragonfly and it's many, many rooms and she's lost there and she finally has to work her way out. And kind of the same thing sort of happens with Colonel Weird, where he's navigating, I guess, Jeff Lemire's imagination. And it essentially feels like the same trick. So I, I as much as I kind of like Jeff Lemire, like trying new things, I feel like sometimes he tries new things, the same thing like twice and might like try like a more refined version of it later on in the series. Like definitely the Colonel weird stuff feels like a more thought out version of, of, you know, what black hammer went through when she was visiting or when she was caught in uh, lady dragonfly's house. You know, I don't mind it because it's an effective device. I, I think the thing with this book is, and it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I kind of just let go when I read it. And the more you can let go and just kind of enjoy this kind of new and different take on some old familiar things, you know, it's fine. Are the devices sometimes paper thin? Does the plot when it gets too linear a little too familiar? Sure, but... It's it's a new and weird take on it. And when I don't don't get too serious about it, when I don't think too hard about it, for the most part, I'm OK. The only thing in all seriousness, the only thing that really let me down when I was taking it too seriously, when I was way too invested was the ending. But as we just did for like 10 minutes, when I really think about it, it's a great Star Trek episode. It works like so I don't mind the devices, I guess is what I'm telling you, Ryan. Like I thoroughly enjoy i really <laughs> when the colonel weird stuff got weird when they had fun yeah. with him i mean with the fucking forgotten characters and when when the book gets really meta with the creators right and and the golden goose and all that stuff it was a lot of fun i i actually enjoyed that way more than i did like the unraveling black hammer unraveling the mystery colonel weird's weird adventures in this plot and in his past plot were quite delightful yeah, I I agree. They were kind of. I actually really like Colonel Weird's adventures more than Black Hammer's when she was kind of in the same situation. I guess my issue and my in the, the reason why I couldn't just like let go and just kind of go with the flow in these instances is that when it happened again, I was like, I've seen this before. You know, it was kind of like, all right, is it is it is it intentionally repetitive? So I started, mm -hmm. and then I realized that it wasn't. And so I kind it's one of those things that takes you out of the narrative a little bit. So for, for you, I think you, you're just kind of able to kind of flow with it. For me, I was, it kind of like jarred me like straight out of the book. And I was like, Oh, Lemire, what are you doing? This is the same thing that you've been, <laughs> that you did like a few episodes ago. 
So I kind of had the, the, the opposite. It's that, it's that literary degree you've got. It's getting uh, in your way, man. Sometimes. Well, well, well. The other thing I, you know, I, I, I did like Colonel Weird's episodes, the whole thing with, you know, he's kind of caught in this world full of forgotten characters, characters who, who the, the creator started, but never finished, which I thought was amazing and awesome. It's sort of like Borges, uh, library of books that were never written amazing concept and i loved his interactions with all of them i guess i guess you know lemire kind of explores that meta issue you know it kind of ends with weird crawling out of the creator's ear and just kind of looking around and nothing more is done with that like does this change the way he thinks about the anti-god who is the arch nemesis of the entire series if the arch nemesis is simply a a creation of this of this of this individual and colonel weird can kind of see past the borders of the creation how does that change his perception of the anti-god and of the mission that he must complete actually it doesn't he kind of goes straight back and is sort of like right back into the story and i think it would have been so much more ambitious and this is sort of what i thought lemire was setting up is that Colonel Weird is now going to see he's going to become almost like this Deadpool type of character, where he's where he where Black Hammer is going to fully embrace it. Where you meta-ness. break the fourth wall, you completely gonna, break the yeah. fourth wall. Yeah, and then and it's going to change his perception of the mission of the enemy that they're supposed to fight. But instead, Absolutely. he kind of goes tumbling back into like, oh yeah, we got to stop this guy. It's like, oh man, it was like a a missed opportunity to well really do something weird with the Colonel. I agree. Yeah, I, I the meta stuff sometimes like gets on my nerves, but because it was Colonel Weird, who you've already established as this guy who's jumping in and out of reality, it's not too far fetched of a concept that he can spend a lot more time outside of the pages. I, I have this theory about meta stuff in comics because we've we we encountered it in Opus, we or or you know actually specifically within the meta stuff it's the character meeting the creator again so that it's it's the ending of opus it happens in black hammer with colonel weird and it, it actually happens at the end of grant morrison's run on animal man that's sort of like the that's sort of like the the dramatic climax of that of that series and my theory is that this is what happens when the writer runs out of ideas It's just like, I don't know what to fucking do. I don't know how to make this weirder. Let's just have this character meet me. And I think that's definitely true in Opus because like literally he, the guy was like, "Uh, I gotta, I gotta move on. I'm directing, you know, perfect blue now. So let's just have the character meet me and whine about why I haven't completed this story. And it, it, you know, obviously it wasn't like the, the ultimate, you know, episode of black hammer but it was sort of like this thing that kind of like tailed off into nothing and it's almost sort of like you know lamar's like i have no idea where to take this he meets the creator okay moving on so i I have this when i first saw when i first saw that device probably an animal man i thought oh that's really inspired how what an interesting thing and now i'm kind of thinking wait a minute i you you guys just you guys just like lost the thread, didn't you? And this is the easiest way out of it. People are going to be convinced that you're a genius, but in fact, <laughs> you're just you just want to you just want to click the paycheck and move on. That's my theory. I don't know if it's true. I I think it's a little bit of painting yourself into a corner and using familiar tropes and devices to get yourself out. Oh um, yeah, okay, there but, we go. Yeah, but, because I, I mean, no, I, Lemire does have a pattern. 
we joked about it at the beginning. He likes to tell weird, weirdly familiar stories in rural settings. That's where Lemire's the best. If you've read, I think he wrote like X-Force and stuff, and it's kind of eh, whatever. So when he gets to go into his own universe, into his own head, and writes what he knows, these rural Canadian settings <laughs> with with a kid with uh, deer antlers on him, with superheroes, or I don't know, just fucked up people in Essex County. He does it well. And I think this was the book where he wanted to get weirder and weirder and weirder. And I, I just don't think he could find a way out. And he's actually, yeah, look, I was going to just say he's, he seems actually, he's actually kind of like the opposite of Warren Ellis, because as I, was re- as I was reading Black Hammer, I kept thinking about Planetary, both of which are kind of are really steeped in the genre fiction of the of the 20th century. And, you know, look to look at new, look, you know, try to kind of cr- bring those familiar, almost cliche creations and put them in a different light where. Lemire is really good is is the sharp characterizations of these people who are just kind of bickering and they're kind of sick of each other, but they also really love each other. And you get that that irritation and that affection in each of their interactions. And he's such a I think Lamar is such a sharp character writer versus Ellis. All of his characters are kind of the same. You know, they're all kind of like sharp and like kind of vaguely nasty to each other. But Ellis is really good at really weird ideas. Like he just brings, you know, I mean, like he just brings idea after idea and it's strange and it's, it, 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 he gives you just enough that you want to kind of dive even deeper. And Lemire, he's. Well, well, and what's interesting about, what's interesting about that is Ellis does this, Morrison does this. They put their weird ideas into the mechanics of it. So in our JLA episode, you know, Morrison talks about how Aquaman can talk to fish. And so he uses that to fuck with our hippocampus, which is, you know, evolved from fish or whatever. Right. right? So yeah, like they take the weird ass ideas and they put it into the minutia and then they kind of Mm. layer out from there. What Lemire, and again, they also do it with broader concepts as well. But what Lemire does is he keeps the weirdness at the conceptual level versus the detail yeah. level. He he's at the Lemire's at the conceptual level, and then he applies these really human emotions and human takes to it. Yeah, actually, where Lemire is really good with the minutia is the characterizations of the people. Like that's where he's really good at very subtly hinting at what's going on. You know, with 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 you know underneath their underneath their skin. I, you know, um, every time Barbalian or Gale would talk and go through whatever their drama was of the week, I was actually reminded of Robert Kirkman, who writes Walking Dead and who writes um, Invincible. Uh, again, big sweeping stories, but these kind of very human, believable reactions and takes to the situation. Like even Abraham Slam, all he wants to do is get back to Tammy. That's believable. If you finally had a quiet moment in life and met the love of your life, wouldn't you just want that? You know, like, and so. Yeah, I, I think kind of, and it's not done in an overly dialogue-y kind of way that Bendis, Kevin Smith, and a number of others do. Aaron Sorkin, right? It's very much a, <laughs> these people talk like talk and react like real people would talk and react if you were put into this weird yeah. situation. I also like how, you know, speaking of Abraham Slam and his, you know, why is he so interested in, in just living his life out on the farm? And actually, I think Lemire's really good at just subtly suggesting why is like when we see abraham slam as an older superhero in spiral city you know i love like like that there's this moment there's almost like an homage to the rob liefeld huge <laughs> shoulder pads sort of thing 
Spikes and Abraham Slam in the 90s is an older superhero and he's trying to kind of make it or keep you know, up. try to stay relevant, keep up. Keep up. Yeah. And so he kind of has this Rob Liefeld-esque suit design that's so impractical, it just snaps off as he's trying to, you know, fight a supervillain. And, you know, everyone's kind of laughing at him. And, it, you know, it's just such, it's actually just this really acute humiliation of this character who was once so proud. And, you know, in a way, it's like that scene is just a very a great commentary of, kind of superhero design of the 90s. It's a great moment that shows how, kind of devastating moment that shows how this guy who's just, he's still trying to be, he's been trying to be relevant and he's still well-meaning how he's kind of fallen from grace. And it also explains, you know, why Abraham Slam just, he's just good hanging out in the farm. You know, it's like he's, he's just this guy past his prime. And, and and that's how I feel about that's my overall take on this book. One, I am a guy past my prime, but you know, I just kind of want to be on the farm and hang out there. I I don't mind the dr- dramatic tension of trying to figure out what the fuck's really going on, but I just kind of like the tension of all of them coping with having been here for ten fucking years, and that's kind you know, it's just like and honestly, Ryan, it's to, to bring it back to reality, it's kind of how I feel right now. Like, I've been through my own drama and coping of how the pandemic's been, but I'm fine. You know, I, I, I'm i glad we're going to have this vaccine and we're going to open back up. But, you know, I've been fine. It's been nice just being here <laughs> and not having to take the train into the city and spending a lot more time with the people I love and, you know, kind of eking out an existence. I'm fine. It's fine. Well, I'm reading actually, comics. in a way, I mean, well, think about it. In a way, we are... I know we just did that podcast about on your other podcast, Modern Minorities, about Asian violence. But, you know, you and I are both relatively sheltered. You know, I'm kind of ensconced in the Upper West Side in an apartment. You're in the you're in the suburbs. And so in a way, you know, you and I, we are kind of in our own little alternate realities. Yeah. Sheltered from, you know, all the shit with from the I mean, not completely sheltered. We know what's out there. But, you know, we, we've been able to kind of carve out existences where we're not reminded of it every day, but, or we but, don't but, have but, to be reminded of it, of it but, every day. But, but the real shelter is this, and I, I fully acknowledge the privilege that we both have in this horrific time we're living, but the shelter isn't just from that. The shelter is from the normal day-to-day that existed before the pandemic. The having to go to another fucking work happy hour. You and I remember uh, before we started this thing, I had to go to some industry investor event and I didn't want to go. So I invited you and my other buddy, Al, and we went and like literally the cream of the crop on this Manhattan rooftop is all there and we should totally be talking to them. And the three of us decided to just take advantage of the free drinks. And there was a moment we sat by the appetizer bar to like intercept the waiters (laughs) to just the three of us have a really nice time on someone else's dime. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm okay with jettisoning all of that crap because this year has forced us to do that, you know, and kind of reset. Like, I'm reading way more than I ever have. Some of it is comics, but I'm connecting with a handful of friends, some old, some new, like you, a lot more and building deeper relationships. Do I miss seeing people occasionally? Sure, but it's fine. And that's how Abe feels. To bring it back to the book, that's how Abraham Slam feels. That's how I feel. I'm fine. Well, and, you know, speaking of having a nice time on someone else's dime, if you're listening and you want to sponsor this podcast, please send us an email. (laughs) Or just send us a check. 
<laughs> check. Yeah, you don't need to send an email, just to check. <laughs> so, uh, Ryan. Robin, yes. Oh, you're going to ask me a question. What was that question you're going to ask me? Well, unless you had something super salient and impressive and insightful to say. I think I have something salient and impressive and insightful to say about what we're reading next week, but. Well, why don't you just tell me, damn it? I cannot <laughs> wait. I'm chomping at the bit to find out. All right, so next week we are going to be reading Ayako by Osamu Tezuka, the godfather of manga. Damn it, man. I I, I was like, oh, wait, is it Osamu or or, or Osamu? And I'm like, no, no, no. Hold on, I'm going to redo that. I'm going to redo that. Okay. All right. All right, so next week we're going to be reading Ayako by Osamu Tezuka, who is the godfather of manga. You've probably read a lot of his a lot of his comics. He did Astro Boy, for instance. If you haven't read it, I'm sure you're familiar with it. He did one called Kimba the White Lion. If you saw if you saw the Lion King, uh, you're probably familiar with Kimba the White Lion, since uh, there is a plagiarism scandal between those two movies. But you know, so while he did a lot of manga for for kids or for young adults, Iago is actually for adults. It is. It, it kind of follows, it looks at, it's his most political work taking place in post-World War II Japan. A son returns home after fighting, after being a prisoner of war, and he meets up with his completely messed up family. If you like reading William Faulkner and think his families are screwed up, uh, Osamu Tezuka's family in Ayako, well, makes him look a little bit like the Brady Bunch. So... This is basically a family apocalypse in post-World War II Japan. So very different from what we've been reading lately, but I would say just as just as exciting and just as messed up. If your family's messed up, you should be listening to this podcast and reading Ayako. Yes, <laughs> read Ayako. Read Ayako, and I hope you don't draw too many comparisons with your family. I mean, I really or ours, or ours. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. Like what you heard? Please be sure to subscribe, share with a friend, and leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. Got a suggestion? Shoot us a note. QTVcomics at gmail.com. We give you a social media handle, but we're old, and frankly, that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. My, 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 my music hits me so hard it makes me say, Oh my lord, thank you for blessing me with a mind to rhyme and to hype that it feels good when you know you're down. A super dope homeboy from the Oak Town, and I'm known as such. And this is the beat, uh, you can't touch. I told you, homeboy, you can't touch this. Yeah, that's how we live in, and you know, you can't touch this. Look at my eyes, man, you can't touch this. Yo, let me bust the funky lyrics. You can't touch this fresh new kicks and pants. You got it like that. Now you know you want to dance. So move out of your seat and get a black girl and get this beat. But it's rolling. Hold on. Bump a little bit and let them know what's going on like that. Like that. Going on a mission. Go for them back. Let them know that you're too much. And this is the beat. Uh, you can't touch. Yo, I told you. You can't touch this. Why are you standing there, man? You can't touch this. Yo, sound the bell. School is in, sucker. Now give me a song, oh rhythm, making them sweat, that's what I'm giving them now They know you're talking about a hammer, talking about a show that's hype and tight Singers are sweating so best on my mic or tape To learn what's it gonna take in the 90s to burn the charts Legit, give a work harder, you might as well quit 
that's word because you know you can't touch this. You can't touch this. Break it down. Bust a few moves, run your fingers through your hair, this is it For a winner, dance to this and you're gonna get in the moves Slide your rump, just for a minute, that's all to the bump, 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 bump Yeah, you can't touch this Look, man, you can't touch this You better get high, boy, because you know you can't You can't touch this, ring the bell, school's back in Trombone Touch this. Get me out of here, man. You can't touch this. <laughs>